Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This is, this is really holy ground, folks. This is really holy ground. We come to this great, great book and we find ourselves on a place that is, is absolutely uh, amazing. And here's why. Paul is about to establish the church. Now, as I said to you, this letter to the book of Ephesians is not just a letter to go to one church. This letter was supposed to be what is called a circular letter. It was supposed to go to all the churches in Asia Minor. It was supposed to teach all of them how to live this Christian life. As we've already said, the first three chapters tell us who we are in Christ Jesus. Who we are because of Christ Jesus. But chapters 4, 5, and 6 is going to tell us, therefore, what are we to do? Since we know who we are, how do we live? How do we act? What is the things that we are to do because we are in Christ Jesus? And so Paul, knowing that he's going to make this strong, strong statement to all of these churches, introduced himself, if you remember in verse 1, as an apostle. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And we explained last week, the reason that Paul introduces himself immediately as an apostle was to verify the words that he was about to write to them. The words that he is explaining to them on this circular letter. It is the foundation that he is about to lay. And that foundation is God's true church to be established and not to fade away. Paul is setting a standard for every church. Folks, not just the church in that day, but the church today. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us, Jesus Christ, you know this verse, I bet, watch. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. Today and forever. So what he established by Paul in this particular letter is established for us today. It doesn't change. Jesus Christ doesn't change, and the Word of God does not change. Therefore, the church that was established, as we studied so diligently in Acts chapter 2, where the apostles told the people, I want you to be continually devoting yourselves to the things of God. And we mentioned what they were. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, communion, uh, giving, and worship. And, and, and that, that doesn't change from one church to another. That should be established as the structure of what the Rock Community Church ought to look like and what every church that names the name of Jesus Christ. And why the name of Jesus Christ? Look at chapter 1 and verse 22. We'll get to it eventually, I promise you. But look at verse 22 right now. It says that he put all things, all things in subjection under his feet. God put all things in subjection under his son's feet and gave him, his son, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So we learn that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We don't try to mess with that. We don't try to change any kind of um, denominational rules or regulations or, 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 or what are these things that you should and shouldn't do. We don't set that rule. The Bible sets it clearly for each of us. Tells you how to live your life. And to understand that He is the head. Not, not any senior pastor, uh, not any staff, but, but that God is the very head of this church. And 
we see that Jesus Christ is the very center of why we build it. Look at chapter 2, just for a moment. Will we ever get to chapter 2? Well, we will. But look at chapter 2. And read with me in chapter 2. It says, verse 19, You're no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household. And, verse 20 tells us, We have been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Those things that they started, we're to continue. We're not to change those things. Those rules are set. And so, verse 20, Built upon the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also... You and me, we are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we see immediately that Paul is setting a standard through this great book. And his standard is that God's church, this church that we call our place of worship, this is truly God's place. He is the very foundation. He is the cornerstone of what we are building here at this particular church. Now, to give added proof to the importance of what we we mentioned last week, the foundation of Jesus Christ, the very cornerstone, Paul states in verse 2, a profound yet very simple statement built upon one simple word. The word was and, A-N-D. In the Greek, it is K-A-I. It means an equal to or equal with. And so Paul states in verse 2, as we mentioned last week, that grace and peace comes from God the Father and equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we learned last week that Paul establishes this body that we worship here together, that both Jesus Christ and, K-A-I, equal to God the Father, they are equal with one another, both being God. Therefore... Paul's premise is this, to build the church upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Him being the cornerstone, the very foundation, is also to build this church upon the rock-solid foundation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To build the church upon Christ is to build the church upon God the Father. So, with that introduction done, Paul now begins to lay the foundation of the church, which is built upon Jesus Christ, but truly both He and the Father. And Paul sets the foundation of the church through an amazing sentence, Verses 3 through verse 14. These 12 verses in the Greek is just one sentence. He is is giving one sentence, but with three particular thoughts in mind. Number one, he is showing God the Father in the past. That's verses 3 through 6. He's going to show us God the Son in the present. That's that's verses 7 through 12. And he's going to show us God, the Holy Spirit, in the future. And that's verses 13 and 14. Now, we're not... It would be, it would be a, a criminal. Honestly, it would be criminal to try to fit all of those, those 12 verses into one message. It wasn't meant to be done. It was meant to be taught. 
and is meant to be taught in such a fashion that we go deep enough that you and I will grasp what is being said about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as he is presented immediately after Paul says, I'm an apostle, so you listen to what I'm saying. I'm speaking from God. So let's read those 12 verses, but we're not going to study all of them today. I'm, I'm very, I was going to say I'm sad to say, but I am not. I'm very happy to say that this church is a church that doesn't desire us to rush through the Word of God. We got all day. We got all year. We got until the Lord comes. So... I used to tell my wife, you know, I'm really nervous. I, I think the people are getting... I used to go home and I'd say to her, i say, you know, I, I better rush through this book. I think the people are getting uh, a little antsy. want to move on. And she says, and where do you want to move to? You know, I mean, are you going to get out of the Word of God? The Word of God is the Word of God. Just teach it. Got a great wife. Boy, I got a great wife. She is, she's great, boy. Tough as nails. Puts me in my place, I'll guarantee it. She might sound to you if she ever tells you how submissive she is, but ooh, she's, she's tough as nails, boy. Well, she is submissive because she's a godly woman. I, what am I doing here? I'm a, what? Let's re- <laughs> I'll get myself in really deep trouble. She's not here. You can bet your life on that. I wouldn't do this if she was here. I don't have that kind of nerve. Verses 3 to 14, read with me. Just, just hold on. Uh, it, it's it's going to be so much to chew through, but I just want you to get a glimpse of it all. It starts with verse 3 saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of His own possession to the praise of His glory. I'm telling you, folks, that's magical stuff. I don't understand it all. I'll guarantee you. But I'm going to dig and dig and dig and try to find out as much of the truth 
of those of this one sentence, those 12 verses, so that perhaps at the end of them, you and I will have a deeper understanding who we are in Christ, but more importantly, who He is, so that we might follow Him. Now that's part of the message today is, what is the problem of following Him? Why is it that that this world in which we live has such a, a burden of following God. But let's narrow it down. Let's not be so, I don't know, so haughty, so prideful that we feel that we've got it all under control. The question really is, why is it as, as the church we have such trouble following our Lord? Why, I wonder. Well, today I'm going to try to answer that. No, not me. The Bible. Let's, let's take a look, if you don't mind, at that one single verse, verse 3. Now, these 12 verses, as I've already mentioned to you, show God the Father, verses 3 to 6, in the past. He elected us. He has predestined us to be a people to Himself. In verses 7 through 12, we're going to see God the Son in the present. How He redeems you and me through His blood that was shed upon the cross. And then in verses 13 and 14, we're going to see God the Holy Spirit in the future. How, where, where you and I gain a, a, an inheritance that is given by God as a pledge and sealed, as it says in verses 13 and 14, by the Holy Spirit of promise. Over and over again, we're going to see the promises of God are given to those of us 15 times. It's going to be mentioned in this, in this great book. 15 times it's going to be given to those of us who are in Christ. So let's begin with the promises that we read in, in verse 3. It's, it's, it's such a power-packed verse. God desires... To bless you and me, not with just a little bit. He promises to bless you and me with every spiritual blessing possible in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a deep thought. So deep that we don't want to go to, through it without asking the Lord to kind of guide us. So pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this moment, this this precious, precious moment that you have given us. This is a moment like none other. This is the day that you have made. You have called us to rejoice and to be glad in it. And so, Father, with that in mind, would you please guide us? Would you please take us to the, the place that we need to be? If there is a concern that some of us might have or, or, or a great joy that we just kind of want to explode, we're just so happy with what you have done or, or some are so... So despondent, Father, by what has just happened. Everyone in between, would you care for each of us? And only you can do that, Father. Please, take me aside. Move me aside. Hide the one that gives the message, please. Let us see your words. Let us see what you are saying to each of us individually as we go through this, this moment of our lives as believers or this moment in our lives of some that are here that are perhaps searching to find out what does it mean to be a Christian. May we explain that as thoroughly as, Father, you would allow us to do. 
Let us move within the hearts of every single person here. Open up our eyes, Father God, that we might behold wonderful things from your Bible. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Let me start with a problem. May I please? The problem within this world that you and I live is that most people are desperately searching for some sort of of happiness, um, some sort of prosperity. They're searching for self-worth. They're searching. Everybody on this planet is trying to find that piece of the pie for themselves. The dilemma is that we live in a world, for the most part, that have rejected God. For the most part, people have rejected God. You just, if you think, if you think the survey is right, if this is a Christian nation, well, I'm, I'm hoping that survey is true, but I don't know. Because I think that most people have a very, very, um, very dim understanding of what it really means to be a believer. My pastor friend, Kenny Hutcherson, says, most people believe the Bible because they don't know a thing about what's really in it. Because if they really knew, <clears throat> they'd be scared to death. Most of us are in this dilemma. Not us here today, I don't believe. But people who have rejected God. Therefore, the only true place that they can find this self-worth has been eliminated by those who function without Jesus Christ. You see, when God is taken out of the equation, mankind can only turn to themselves. They can only look inward for the answers of self-worth. And looking within for self-worth can only lead to unfulfilled promises and emptiness. See, Paul says in verse 3, so powerfully to the people... That God wishes, verse 3, to bless us with every spiritual blessings possible. They are found in the heavenly places and they are, no, where? Where are they? Pardon me? Amen. They are in Christ. Now that, Paul didn't make a mistake when he said that. He wasn't saying, oh, Wow, some people would say, how narrow-minded, Paul. Come on, open up your eyes. There's a lot of religious beliefs out there. There are a lot of ways to God. Paul and Jesus Christ says, no, no, there really isn't. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. You can't come to the Father but through me. And so Paul is letting the church know that these spiritual blessings are ours. We have them, and they are all found in Christ. Look, please, at, at Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to go take a look at Psalms. But first, look at, at, at chapter 4. It says that verse 13, we should obtain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son. Uh, we should become mature people to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, he says, if we do these things, we'll be no longer children, verse 14, 
tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. Now what I want to say to you, I'm going to verify through the Word of God. Turn with me to Psalms, please. Hold your place here in Ephesians chapter 1 and turn with me to the book of Psalms. It's kind of the middle of the Old Testament. You can't quite miss it. It's a, it's a real big book. And uh, just kind of turn to the middle and you'll find it. Psalms has 150 chapters, doesn't it? How many chapters does it have? 51 or 50? 150 chapters. So we want you to find the first chapter. The psalmist wrote in Psalms chapter 1 that a person who tries to function without God, well, it says in verse 4 of Psalms chapter 1, they're like chaff, which the wind drives away, they're tossed to and fro. So, as we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, we are to, we are to, to, to drive ourselves to become close to Christ so that we will no longer be children. We'll no longer be tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine. And so the psalmist writes in chapter 1 and verse 4, that person is like a chaff. It's, it's, chaff is the, it was real light. It would, they would, when they were doing grain, as I understand it, they, the chaff would just be blown away. But in Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, How blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners nor seat, sit at the seat of scoffers. Note, verse 2, This person's delight is in the law of the Lord. In His law, God's law, we will meditate day and night. And we will be like, verse 3, a tree. What? Firmly planted. Not tossed and turned by every wave of doctrine. Not by like chaff, but we would be firmly planted like a tree by streams of water which will yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither. And in whatever that person does, that person will what? Prosper. Prosper. God wants you and me to prosper. Now I'm going to mention this in a moment, but to, to cling unto the things of God, to, to delight in His law, the Word of God, and, and, and to... And to meditate upon this day and night will be like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. Whatever we do, we will prosper. But as verse 4 reminds us, the wicked, they're not so. They're like chaff, which the wind will drive away. You see, God desires for you and me to prosper. Can you turn now to James? You can leave Psalms 1. Turn now past Ephesians and find the book of James. I want you to read this verse because I want to solidify in your mind and in my mind within our hearts that God wants to prosper only those who know Him through His Son. 
So God desires for you and me to prosper. He desires to give us every spiritual blessing possible. And he says those blessings are found in the heavenly places and they're only found in his son, Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from where? From above. Coming down from the Father of lights. And so, I reason with you and with me that to know our Lord and Savior is the blessings that we would appropriate within our lives and these spiritual blessings are ours to have. They're not given to us in part. They are fully given to us fully at your and my disposal to use as we so desire. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Paul is pleading with us to accept what God has already given us, His spiritual blessings. But the world, the world for the most part has rejected this. And too many Christians are asking God for what He has already given to us. For instance, you might ask for more love. One way or another, give me more love, Father. Let me experience more of your love. Well, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Now I'm going to wait for you to find this verse if you have your own Bible. I'm going to try to wait so you can find it. Romans chapter 5. If you're in Ephesians, Romans is just to the left a little bit. Um, Ephesians will go to the left towards uh, Pascalations and 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and you'll find Romans chapter 5. I want you to read this verse with me because we are most, for the most part, people on this earth are asking for what God, Christians on this earth, are asking for what God has already given us in full. More love? Romans, Paul, the writer of Romans, in the fifth chapter, in the fifth verse, says this, Hope does not disappoint. Why? Well, because the love of God has been... Now hear this. God's love has been poured out within your heart through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Some people ask for peace. Look at John. John, now, John is still again to the left of Romans. You'll go past, past, past the book of Acts and you'll find John chapter 14. People ask for peace. Oh, bring peace, dear Father. Bring peace into my life. Bring peace into my family. Bring peace into this chaotic mess that I'm in or, or bring peace to this world, which is at Christmas time. That's, that's, that's the best, because you get Christmas cards that say, Peace on earth. There's only one peace on earth. That's to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There will never be peace on earth. The Bible says there are going to be wars, rumors of war, and they're going to escalate. Ooh, really? Do we live in those types of times? You bet. The peace that the Bible speaks about is the peace that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ so that you have peace with God. 
But people want peace. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I what? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, he says to us, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. You desire true peace, you'll only find it in Christ Jesus. And he has already given it to you in full measure. It is yours. We pray for more love. We pray for more peace. We pray for more joy. Look at John chapter 15, just the next chapter to the right. John chapter 15, we're sad in the condition that we find ourselves and some ask God, I need joy. I need some joy in my life. I need some happiness. I, I'm, this, this crisis that I'm going through, I don't know how I can handle it. And Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. I want you to note, whose joy is he going to mention? He says, his joy, the Father's joy may be in you. That your joy may be made full. Folks, we have all the joy that we would ever need. We have the joy of Jesus Christ through God the Father. And not only do we have that joy, it is made full. Okay, some people then say, give me the strength to handle the... the, the look, at, look at Philippians chapter 4. Now, Philippians is to the right of Ephesians. Ephesians... Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, the next book, just to the right of Ephesians. And people say, I want strength. I need more strength. I need strength to carry me through this crisis. Whatever it is that you're going through and you want more, you need more strength because you feel drained. And Paul has said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, we can do, the word better translated there is handle, we can handle all things through Christ who does what? Strengthens us. We need more love? The Bible says we have all we need. We need more joy, more happiness? The Bible says you have all the joy you'll ever want. It's right at your fingertips. You need more strength? You can do, you can handle all things through Christ who already has strengthened you. Whatever it is that you and I are seeking, the Bible has more than amply satisfied us because of every spiritual blessing has been given to us, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The problem is, here's the problem, church. We don't believe God at His Word normally. Or, or we don't like what He's given us. We ask for peace. He gives us peace, but we want more. One of the worst things that any of us can do is start comparing ourselves to other people, other Christians. I used to be able to really relate this home when I talked to the athletes. When I was in the locker room and we were doing chapel and I would talk about, you know, the, the worst thing you can do on a ball club is compare yourself. Oh, I'd like to be as strong as Jimmy Campanis. Well, then go with, lift weights. Oh, oh, I'd like to hit home runs like uh, um, so-and-so, whoever's the great home run hitter. And I used to look at the team, and, and on the team there would be a home run hitter normally. A guy would drive in a lot of runs, and there was always a guy that kind of was, was a punch and Judy. By that we call him a guy that he couldn't hit, you know, this guy can hit 40 home runs. This guy couldn't hit 40 home runs if he counted batting practice too. He just wouldn't, he doesn't have that kind of power. 
But he can do a lot of things that the other guy can't do. He can move a runner along. He can bun. He can do those little things. And this guy drives in all the runs, and together they make a team. But oftentimes on a team, you find guys that want to compare with other people. And that's the death knell upon a Christian faith. It is the death. You know, I would love, I would love to preach like Swindoll or MacArthur. Well, it ain't going to happen. But I'm to be content with what God has given me. There's a kind of a story. I hope this relates. It's, it's, it's like someone praying to God. Oh, God, please, I need this answered. And they, and they feel that they've really stepped out in faith. They really, they've really prayed to God in a proper fashion. And all of a sudden, they felt like they heard His voice saying, Move. And so they step out in faith, and, but they didn't get what they, were, what they were asking for. They did everything correctly. They asked in faith. They prayed in faith. They accepted by faith that the answer was there. And what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God answered them. They just didn't get what they wanted. They got what He gave them. And some of us become very discontented. It's like I said, yeah, I'd like to preach like someone better. I'd love to be able to be more eloquent so that I could really move you. But you know what my job is? You know what our job as believers? It's not to receive something more from God. He has already given you and me every single thing we need in Christ Jesus Every spiritual blessing is ours. Our job is to do something more with what we've already been given. Instead of sitting around wishing for more, God simply asks of you and me to do something with what He has already given to us. Christian, do not ever forget verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. God Almighty has blessed you and me with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, all found in His Son, through His Son, Jesus Christ. But most of our problems is this. We don't like what God has already given to us. We ask for more, or worse, we ask for something different. I want to preach like this guy. or I want the gift of power. There's a gift of power, isn't there? You know, we want something more. We always want more instead of doing more with what we already have, what He's already given to us, and incorporate in our lives these spiritual blessings that are ours, abundantly ours. I want to close with this story. Quite a few years ago, um, I was asked by Kenny Hutchison to come up to his church and to preach to the men at a retreat. Our, our church over at Yorba Linda was very successful with our men's ministry, and so I was asked to come and to speak to his men, and they were starting up. And it was a fairly good-sized group of guys, and I had a ball. I mean, I had a ball with these guys. Uh, I was as different as night and day between Hutch and me. It was a pretty big difference. I cried over everything. He doesn't cry about anything. And, and I was just, you know, here's this, uh, this, this force of a man standing there, Kenny Hutchison. Here comes me. Let me tell you what the Bible says, you know. And so I'm having a ball, though, and these guys are, are, are really kind. And, 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 and so I, I was asked on Sunday when we were all through, we'd go back to church, and I was going to preach to the whole congregation. 
men and the women. So I was ready. I was really excited about it. Got to the church and, and Hutch told me, Hey, John, we have a change. What's up? He says, We have something that I've got to tell the people. You're not going to preach. I'm going to preach the message. I said, Praise the Lord. I've been wanting to hear you anyways. So I was really happy about that. And so I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm, I got to sit in every service. And the first service I sat in, uh, they were having the music, you know, kind of typical of what churches are like, music first, you know, and all of that, and somewhere in their announcements and, and stuff. And, and in the music portion that they were having, there was a guy in his church in a wheelchair that, um, that could barely speak. He was pretty disabled. And when the music started, his, he, he brought his wheelchair up when everybody else walked up and he got there and he started singing and you couldn't understand a word he was saying. And man, you talk about someone who sang loud and he was making noises. He wasn't functioning words. He was, oh, I'm, I'm getting kind of nervous. I feel nervous for him. And I look around and nobody, nobody's nervous. Everybody's enjoying it to the nth degree. They're just... They're just loving every second of it. Afterwards, I couldn't wait to speak to Hutch. And I says, Hutch, I said, you know, I felt a little nervous when the, when the guy in the wheelchair goes, oh, he says, oh, John, everybody comes and visits. Always, he, makes us, he makes them always feel nervous. We love him to death. So I couldn't keep him out of the choir if I, if I had to. He would fight me to keep him out of the choir. Not only that, he wants to be a greeter. He wants to be a greeter at our church. And he can't even say hi to people. He just grunts at them, but he welcomes everybody in. And Hutch says, I don't know what I'd do without him. And um, I understood. I understood a principle in the Word of God through that man in a wheelchair. I learned a very, very valuable lesson. That God doesn't care what we have to offer Him so much. He cares about, are we willing to offer Him anything at all? I would venture a guess. I don't know. I hope we get a chance to see it in heaven. I, I would venture a guess in heaven that he is going to have some special, <clears throat> excuse me, some special place. And I thought to myself as I was flying home, I couldn't get him out of my mind. And I was thinking, why can't everybody in the church be like that? What's stopping us from giving the Lord our all? Would we argue that he shouldn't have been up there singing at all? Some might. I feel sorry for them if they do. Are we coming to church to, because everything is going to be just pristinely perfect, just the way we want it? Or are we coming to church to serve the Lord our God with all the blessings that He has blessed us so that we can pass it along to our neighbor here at the church, so that we can make this a place that is more better, if there's that's a way of saying it. This church is never going to be perfect, and neither will you be perfect, neither will I be perfect. We are all sinners. 
We have all been saved by the grace of an almighty God who loves us just the way we are. We need to be a part of this church. We need to be a part of what God is doing and stop looking at what we don't have and consider what it is that we have been given and use it to our max. That's what this man in the wheelchair does. I pray that's what I'll do the rest of my life. I pray that that's what you'll do. You and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing possible in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you have exactly what it is that God wants you to have. You can seek for more. You can refine whatever it is, the gift that you have. But you have everything. Let's believe God at His Word. Let's be a people that really serve Him and love Him. Father, what a privilege it is to study Your Word. It's, it's, it's so alive. It's, it's so rich, dear Father. It, it really does take away any of our excuses and It kind of hammers home the point that we really need to be holy and blameless before you. We need to set aside those deficiencies that we might think we have and lay it all on the line for you. Be blessed because of you and in return bless you with what we have received from you. The whole cycle of giving thing, Father. What you have given to us. May we give back to you the best we know how. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love you all with all of my heart. Have a great, great, great week. Can you believe June is here already? Yikes. Have a great week, everybody.